welcome to the inaugural episode of for football's the most accurate podcast i'm your host john daigle joined as always moving forward and anyone who has listened to my shows in the past know this is where i usually slip in friend in life but john paulson not only are we not friends in life just yet. We have not met in person just yet. We haven't shared a beer together. We haven't actually recorded at all in our years of fantasy football together, which is why I'm also excited to be here with you every Thursday moving forward. I just want to say thank you for joining 444 and welcome. And it's going to be uh, fun to uh, to move forward in this uh, new format with the live stream and the video uh, with you. And uh, looking forward to talking some free agency right now. It's going to be all touch and go. This is a new format for us, not only us being here every Thursday together, but also coming at you two episodes per week throughout the offseason now. And just in case you missed episode 500, since we brought it back audio every Monday as well on the Most Accurate Podcast with Chris Allen, Brandon Niles, and Jennifer Eakins, make sure you check that out because they talked a lot about the re-signings and what happened prior to the major shifts we've seen over the last 48 hours in free agency. And something that actually just popped up is where I want to start with you because breaking news for those listening and being interactive with us here Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern is actually that Aaron Robinson, per Alan Schefter, Adam Schefter, has now signed on to be the third receiver, perhaps second receiver, perhaps number one receiver with the Rams, giving them an immense trio and Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, who we presume will return at full health in week one. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on how you foresee this lineup shaking out for fantasy. Yeah, I want to get. I want to give you the nod because you beat me to the punch on on the Allen Robinson. You you mentioned it in our Slack. Can we start with it? And I was like, what happened? Uh, with Allen Robinson, but uh, he had a pretty interesting landing spot for him in Los Angeles. Uh, kind of surprising, I would say, with uh, Cooper Cup there, Robert Woods coming back from injury, and potentially uh, Odell Beckham and Van Jefferson in the in the fold there. Um, I don't know if Odell Beckham was going to be back now after his injury. Maybe you're looking at a trio of uh, Cup, Woods, and uh, Allen Robinson with uh, Van Jefferson providing some depth there. Uh, but, you know, one of the better passing attacks in the league, uh, good quarterback. Uh, Sean McVay knows how to use his guys. Uh, so pretty good landing spot for Robinson, although there, you know, if you look at around the league, there were there were places where he could have seen a bigger target share or more, more targets per game. Um, he's going to get pretty good quality targets there for for Los Angeles. I just want to read off a list of the career quarterbacks Allen Robinson has to date. Because if you can make an argument that any of these guys are better than Matthew Stafford, I'm all ears. Because so far, going back to Penn State, Robinson has played with Matt McGloin and Christian Hackenberg. And then if you move into the league with Jacksonville, Blake Bortles, Chad Henney. And then we go on free agency. Remember, he was actually injured, signed a big deal with Chicago. They believed in him. And then they proceeded basically to not use him or latch him on with poor quarterback play in Mitch Trubisky, Chase Daniel, Nick Foles, Andy Dalton, and someone we're still out on, Justin Fields. So you can make an argument that this should be immediately a career year. And we're pretty much, I would think, throwing last year's performance in Allen Robinson from that machination of quarterbacks under Matt Nagy out the window completely. I'm not worrying about it whatsoever. A player last year who wasn't even a top 60 wide receiver in fantasy points per game, I'm just going to lock back in at hopefully a discount with Allen Robinson from Matthew Stafford. Yeah, I, I don't think you could just make an argument that it's the best quarterback he's played with it is. I, I, mean, I don't think there's any argument to, against that. Uh, I don't know about a career year, though. I mean, he had 1,400 yards. 14 touchdowns in 2015, uh, 1,250 yards 
six touchdowns with the with the Bears in 2020. Um, I I worry a little bit about the target share. He had 150 targets in four seasons, uh, twice with the Bears, uh, twice with Jacksonville. I I just don't know if the volume's going to be there if Woods is healthy and Cup is getting his usual share there. But like I said before, the quality of those targets is going to be the highest that he has seen in his career. So he certainly could have a good fancy season. And Cup was still incredible when Odell Beckham joined the team, Allen Robinson now joining the team. And there's a report that the Rams are apparently still trying to steer enough cap room to sign Odell Beckham along with Allen Robinson. But as we know, Cup before Beckham joined the team had a 32.7% target share. Uh, was still very clearly the wide receiver one in fantasy, performed immacul immaculately whenever Beckham joined the team. But I think you can make an argument that that target share will no longer sustain if we have like Rap Robinson, Woods at full health. And then, of course, if Beckham joins a lot as well. But again, we have months and months to discuss this. It's going to be a long offseason. We'll be here, like I said, twice a week. I actually want to move on to what I think is an even bigger move, and that is who do you believe is the biggest winner or beneficiary for fantasy stemming from that massive Russell Wilson deal to Denver? Yeah, I actually studied the the move uh, for an article over at 444, so check it out if you want a little bit more detail on what I think. Um, I think it's uh, Albert O, and I'm Oku Budam. I'm going to have to learn how to say his name. I, I don't know how much you listened to the podcast before, uh, John, but I'm not the best at uh, uh, practicing my names prior to the prior to the podcast, so I usually butcher them. If, if it... To be fair, he's still my uh, ultimate copy-paste guy. I will go okay. to Google immediately every single time and just copy-paste his name because I'll never get the spelling correctly. Yeah, I, I, for me, it's a pronunciation, but um, I think he's the biggest winner because, you, you know, no offense out of the way now. And then on top of that, he gets a, a quarterback upgrade. So he's going from tight end two, tight end three type ranks to a uh, possible tight end one uh, fantasy ranks. I think he's going to be one of my primary targets. If he's going in that ninth to 11th, ninth to 12th uh, round, that's, you know, so fruitful for, for those lower end tight ends that are able to, you know, match the production of the guys, you know, the six or so guys going ahead of them, maybe not the elite guys, but you know, has, has a chance for a top five, top seven season. Um, he's got the 4.49 speed, six, five, 258 pounds. He actually outperformed Fant on a per target basis, 1.5 or five, four, uh, fancy points per target, half PPR versus 1.39 for Fant. Uh, on a per target basis and his career catch rate was higher than fans 80 percent compared to 68.3 percent uh so i think he steps right into that role and has a big has a big year with uh, russell wilson there uh at quarterback um you know and i i wrote in the article i it's good for jerry judy and Cortland sutton uh for sure to have a better quarterback there they're going to get a little bit of a bump um I think my concern there is you know tim patrick and what he did last year we basically outplayed both of them uh, and he's going to be the one that's going to be the best value because he's probably going to go wide receiver 75 or something while Judy and Sutton are you know maybe pushing top 30. And I just don't know if there's that, a big enough a disparity between those three to justify that sort of gap. To that last point, the easy answer in all of this is that Russell effing Wilson just lifts all tides. Like the fact that he succeeded in spite of Pete Carroll's efforts to design one of the league's slowest and run heaviest offenses – 
Um, Wilson actually would have become the only quarterback with at least 30 touchdown passes in each of the past five seasons last year until his mallet finger injury wrecked him over the second half of the season, seeing him finish with quote unquote, only 25 touchdown passes. But if I had to choose one, uh, the answer I believe, I believe is going to benefit the most is going to be Cortland Sutton. If only because he was unusable for fantasy purposes, strictly because of drew locks play. Uh, nine career games with Locke. Sutton has finished as a top 38 receiver one time, and that was in Locke's debut against the Chargers, in which they had zero film, film on him to prep accordingly. My only issue with Alberto right now, because remember, best ball, even though you and I step away for a few weeks, perhaps get some FOMO because you see everyone else antsy to get back immediately, probably because they don't understand burnout in August. We're taking our time here at 4-4, but... My only issue with Albert O is that he's clearly everyone's winner because he's the correct answer, right? Like he's the one who benefits the most. And so you're already seeing his ADP on underdog for early drafts during free agency surge to the top 12 of tight ends. So that's my only concern is that if you got in early, you got a great deal. If you did not, then you probably missed the boat. Uh, Do you think that Sutton or Judy, if he had to rank one or the other, will be higher and your never too early rankings, or perhaps like after free agency, when you're sifting through all this afterwards. Yeah, right now I've got uh, Judy slightly ahead of Sutton. I mean, Sutton's targets just took a nosedive when Judy returned as well, and that might have had something to do with Locke. Uh, you know, I, I, you're looking at it from a, you know, Locke or no Locke, or you know, Locke to to uh, Wilson move. Uh, you know, we also had Teddy Bridgewater in the mix last year as well. And he's, you know, probably on the way out or not going to be resigned. Obviously, he, he resigned elsewhere now. But um, that's it, when you start to look at splits, you start, there's a lot of different factors happening. Um, and it just seems like when Judy is playing, Sutton's usage has gone down and it's really a low target share. Now, uh, with Wilson there, uh, a new offensive scheme, a new offensive mind there running things, Nathaniel Hackett. There's just a lot of balls in the air and everything could change. We can't really rely on what happened last year, you know, is to look at what's going to happen this year. But uh, Sutton's very talented. Judy's very talented. I would think they would be the top two targets in this in this offense. But um, Patrick has just basically outplayed them both for stretches of the last two years, back-to-back 700-plus-yard yard seasons. And he's just going to kind of be a – an Achilles heel for, I think, both of them a little bit when it comes to where their ADP is versus where they uh, end up. And as you found out already in doing never too early rankings, when we are accounting for splits from this past year, they are bonkers. There is so much going on between like players surprisingly being slapped on the COVID list, players getting injury mid-game that we have to factor in. And just going through that list of, oh, this happened because this happened, but actually this happened. It's been throwing for me, me for a loop early in the offseason. And I say that because it matters for Russell Gage. And I'm curious now, having known that Russell Gage is joining the Bucks, essentially taking Chris Godwin's spot in the slot until Godwin's healthy enough to return, how high is too high for a player that everyone is clearly excited about right now? Yeah, you mentioned it. It's it's up to Chris Godwin and his knee, and he had a late uh, uh, knee injury, and how quickly is he able to get back to his usual form? Because I think Gage's upside will depend largely on Godwin's health. If Godwin is playing out, is out there playing week one and has a good uh, recovery from his knee injury, he's going to 
Gage is going to be a wide receiver four type with some spike week capability in that offense with such a good quarterback in Tom Brady. If Godwin is missing some time early in the season or in preseason and you're not sure uh, if he's going to be available week one or he might you know miss the first few weeks of the season or maybe the first month, then uh, Gage is going to be a fantasy starter for as long as he's out. So I think that's what you're he's, – he's not Antonio Brown. I'm not going to pencil him in for that sort of role. Uh, but he is, uh, you know, a plus wide receiver three type is going to be drafted as wide receiver four and, and perhaps uh, post some wide receiver two weeks, especially if there's an injury to either Evans or, or Godwin. On one hand, I find it funny that everyone is citing that quote from Brady and Gage and how Brady texted Gage 24 hours after re-signing with the Bucks, saying he's interested in him linking up with the Bucks, uh, because like most people in the NFL in that position, Brady was a lazy scout and just looked up what Gage did last. He recalls Gage spiking the Bucks for 11 catches and 130 yards towards the end of the year and thought, okay, this is his body of work. This player is really good. Uh, and to that point, honestly, like Gage had never really stood out the past two seasons until Calvin Ridley stepped away from week nine on going back to those splits we cited and then averaged those 7.9 targets per game. And more importantly, 2.3 yards per route run from the slot with that additional and necessary volume for the Falcons. Um, to that point, though, it is admittedly a great fit, like you said, with sneaky upside, wide receiver two upside, because Godwin's timeline right now reportedly September through November is such, but we also don't know when and if he ever returns to full health this year. We assume so, but we don't know if it's going to take two to four weeks, perhaps two months. And so right now an underdog, Gage's ADP is 145.5. Uh, he's being drafted as the wide receiver 67. And if you were drafting, if you're one of the sickos drafting February, March, then you got a great deal and to the point that Gage signed. I still think this value though, and tell me what you think is correct and that the upside is not baked in just yet. Assuming that even if Godwin returns earlier in that timeline, Gage still has a couple of those ceiling performances in him until Godwin kicks him out of the slot entirely. Yeah, and I think you know if you're betting on health, it's always dangerous. You're, I mean, you're expecting Godwin to come back from a late season knee injury, fully healthy week one. You're, you're probably it's probably bad odds. So. If you assume he misses two to four weeks, then you're looking at Gage as a starter, and then maybe he is able to establish a role uh, early in the season and uh, continue to produce for the remainder of the season. And maybe you know Godwin's knee kind of acts up; it's not a perfect recovery, and he's you know missing some time later in the season. And all of a sudden, you have a, a fantasy receiver three, fantasy receiver uh, two potentially uh, to go along with uh, Evans as a you know low end wide receiver one, high end wide receiver two. So it's really it, to me, it's all up to Chris Godwin and his recovery. Uh, if he's back, I think he's his usual self. They signed him to a huge deal or extension, uh, and uh, he's going to you know take that role back. But if he's if he's if he at all, uh, or if anything happens to uh, Mike Evans, uh, Gage will step in. Antonio Gibson wasn't deemed a top five running back for as long as Brady was retired. But it was close. It was about five hours there that Antonio Gibson was the light that everyone was chasing. And then, of course, J.D. McKissick goes back on the Bills deal. He is a man of homecoming. He is a man that prefers to have that trust in his words and went back and linked up with Washington. Two years, seven million. A player who, of course, has averaged six targets per game over the last two seasons because he is one of the best players in that third down role. And then everyone, of course, got down on Antonio Gibson. So 
once the smoke clears and we are basically getting the same backfield as we did last year with Washington with perhaps worse quarterback play, that's up in the air. Uh, where do you fit in Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick into your never-too-early rankings? Yeah, uh, Gibson's uh, top 10, top 8 uh, type uh, value lasted a, a few days there. Uh, and then McKissick came back with the with the signing to kind of ruin things uh, for Gibson. But his splits, uh, especially his receiving splits, and it makes sense. Uh, J.D. McKissick is primarily a pass-catching back. When he's uh, in the lineup last year, uh, Gibson's targets dropped from 44 uh, uh, per game to 2.7 per game. So that really hurts his PPR value. Uh, his rushing numbers stayed about the same, like they didn't change a whole lot, but you, you're just kind of looking at Gibson as more of a, a fancy RB2 in that 12 to 18 range, as opposed to somebody that really could threaten for top five numbers uh, with that passing down work. So I think that's where I, I stand right now. His, his numbers just took a jump uh, with McKissick um, out. He had uh, double-digit fantasy points in six of 11 games with McKissick and in four of five games without McKissick. So that sort of shows you his uh, weekly floor with uh, McKissick in the lineup. I want to share with you the running backs going ahead of Antonio Gibson on underdog as we speak. I'm going to skip Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey because you would obviously lean towards those two. But the rest, maybe there's an argument to make. So I just want to get your thoughts here. Just tell me, which player you would take over Antonio Gibson, if any? Let's start with Derrick Henry, currently the RB3 at underdog. Yes, I would. Austin Eckler. Yep. Najee Harris. Yep. Dalvin Cook. Uh, yeah, barring his uh, legal issues, yes. Javante Williams. Assuming uh, Melvin Gordon is uh, signed elsewhere, then yes. It's something I still worry about every single day when I wake up, especially because apparently, reportedly, both sides are looking to reunite with one another. Joe Mixon. Yes. Alvin Kamara, who I actually believe is pretty much one of the best offseason buys right now. Yeah, I had him ranked fairly low. I moved him up a little bit. I, I think with this Deshaun Watson thing, uh, if, he, if he ends up signing with uh, the Saints, this is a big boon for Kamara. So, um, yes, I would take him. DeAndre Swift, RB10. Yes. And just two more, and I will tell you, RB11, this is where I will put Antonio Gibson right now, mid-March, mid-free agency, but Nick Chubb, RB11. Yes. And Saquon Barkley. That's debatable. Uh, I don't know if the Giants are going to do enough to to revamp that offensive line. Um, so that I think we're starting to get into Antonio Gibson territory. There's actually a big group of guys here that uh, it, it's a big tier to me, and it sort of depend, depends on what happens this offseason. So essentially you're saying Antonio Gibson right now, the way you look at it, low-end RB1, fringe RB1. Yeah, I would say high-end RB2. I think that makes perfect sense. Uh, he will probably be drafted higher in the end because everyone loves his athleticism, loves what he can be capable of. It just always comes down to how O.C. Scott Turner and Ron Rivera use him accordingly, even though he proved in college he can do both run and catch the ball as a wide receiver at Memphis. Uh, I also want to mention before this next one that I have the free agent tracker going on wildly behind the scenes at 444. You can go see it for free right now at the site. You are doing never too early rankings. We also have fantasy profiles going up that are breaking down for fantasy, the transactions, the trades, the signings taking place that impact your fantasy team the most. And I say that because the Jaguars are busy at 444. They're basically keeping our lights on and paying our bills right now. Let me just give you a quick list of offensive players the Jaguars signed 
the moment free agency open for all. Christian Kirk, as everyone knows, four years, 72 million, making him the third highest paid wide receiver in the entire league annually. Off injured, a balky special, by the way. This is what he loves, being injured. Left guard Brandon Scherf, three years, 49 and a half million. Zay Jones, three years, 24 million, which I still believe is the most shocking to come out of all of this. And Evan Ingram, one year, nine million. Also among others on defense, cornerback Darius Williams, who Balky signed to a three-year, thirty million contract. And I only say that because Balky then led his immediate press conference with, "This guy can cover Christian Kirk." You know, the wide receiver they literally just reset the market to get. Uh, so I want to know, when hearing that, were there any winners at all? Who do you lean towards most when sifting through the Jaguars for fantasy? Well, I think they're like trying to help. Uh, Trevor Lawrence. I don't know that these are the exact moves that I would make. Uh, so, you know, he's, you're, you're losing um, some players. You, you, you've lost DJ Chark. Um, you still have Marvin Jones in the fold. Uh, so they've got a pretty decent little crew of receivers, nothing special. Uh, and Kirk is probably the, maybe the winner. You, you, they're signing him as a wide receiver one. I don't know if he's going to be able to be that alpha dog that they want. I mean, I think there's, a decent chance that Marvin Jones, if he stays healthy, outscores uh, Christian Kirk even after all of this. And he's just is somebody, Marvin Jones, that constantly outperforms his draft position uh, year after year if he, as long as he stays healthy. Um, I think you look at the tight end position with Doug Peterson there and his history of using the tight end position. And, um, you know, Evan Engram is certainly going from the kind of the scrap heap into that tight end two type ranking where he could. Um, be sort of an upside guy that could surprise and finish in the top 10 if things break his way, if he's able to stay healthy, uh, because it does look like he is primed for an increase in usage and has a decent uh, quarterback there to throw to him. I think it's an overreaction to just simply plop Evan Ingram into Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard's like previous target shares, just because just because he's working with Doug Peterson now, like, a. The tight ends under Doug Peterson had high target shares because they were Zach Ertz in its prime and Dallas freaking Goddard, right? It's like when Nick Mullins made that spot start for the Browns last year and everyone mentioned his previous stats under the 49ers. But yeah, like, of course, Nick Mullins was good when he was playing with George Kittle. George Kittle makes everyone good. Uh, and then he goes to the Browns, doesn't have any talent whatsoever like that. And of course, fell on his face for under five yards per attempt. And so I do think it's a little bit of an overreaction to Ingram, but I am interested to see what he can do. An athletic tight end, young still on his second contract, does make me a little bit excited. Uh, if anything, though, I want to believe in Lawrence. I'm just super frustrated at this organization, which I expected, by the way. I never expect to like bulky decisions. But the fact that it wasn't a regime change, right? It was literally just a head coaching change, essentially. And yet for the second year in a row, they ignored the talent that the predecessor at least brought before them and said, "This is these are cheap guys. You can use these. You don't have to cancel these players out. Like Use them until you figure out a way to move on. And for the second year in a row, they just said, screw it. Like We were rebuilding this thing from the bottom up. Again, you don't have to do that. You literally don't have to do that. And for fantasy, of course, the one we cite is Travis Etienne over James Robinson, even though you had a very good player in Robinson for free. And we all like ETN this year. I'm curious actually to get your thoughts on where you have ETN early on in this free agency process. But overall, just to once again ignore what was handed to you essentially for free, it's just absurd and so annoying with that organization. And yeah, you didn't even mention LaVisca Chenault, who is now 
you know, a talent. He's a talented guy. A lot of people, especially fantasy Twitter, want to see him become a thing. And now he's like slated for wide receiver four duties after Jones, uh, jo- uh, both Joneses, and then uh, Kirk at, at receiver and ETN coming in as well. Maybe kind of playing a similar little bit of role, you know, out of the backfield as far as a pass catching back. Um, yeah, as far as the you know James Robinson health is going to drive the situation, I think in that backfield and. You know, ETN being there is is a. I, I don't know what this backfield is going to look like with a coaching change, and then ETN coming back from an injury, and uh, Robinson coming back from an injury. It's going to be very interesting to they want to divvy things up, um, and then back back to Ingram. Uh, yeah, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to say he's going to be the next Zach Ertz, um, but I, they did go out and get him. And he did have 109 targets as recently as 2020. Um, and he had 63 catches, 654 yards, and, and just had the one touchdown, which sort of sank his fantasy value. You know, in that uh, you look at what he had done as far as uh, touchdown catches, it's not a, not a whole lot. He had six as a rookie, and that was his high. And he hasn't had more than three since then. I don't know that there's gonna be a ton of touchdowns available in Jacksonville. There usually aren't, um, but it, it is intriguing from the standpoint that the, Doug Peterson is there, and they went out and got him uh, fairly early in the process. And if you're listening to this live and headed out for St. Patty's Day after, one, thank you. Two, be safe. And three, pull one out on the streets for Laquan Treadwell and Jamal Agnew. We hardly knew you since they're getting canceled in this new regime as well. Uh, I will be remiss if I didn't tell you that this podcast is being brought to you by 4 for 4. That's right. We're being brought by ourselves because right now it is literally the best offer we can possibly give you. A 4 for 4 Pro subscription and in doing so, in signing up for that, you receive a free $100 gift card to Fanatics. Literally, if you sign up for a $169 sub, you get a $100 gift card. Do the math real quick in your head, tell you the savings and what else you get. And then you also get the Betsports Golf sub, which is going to be a $200 value for free whenever we go behind a paywall. Right now, BetsportsGolf.com is free, but it's not always going to be like that. And in signing up, you not only get the gift card, but you later on, when we go behind the paywall, get a free golfing sub as well legitimately the best offer I could possibly give you. All you need to do to enter is subscribe to our YouTube channel and send a screenshot to our Twitter account, or again, sign up for the betting sub. With that, I want to talk about what the Dolphins have done in free agency, John, because Chase Edmonds, of course, signed and everyone thought, okay, Chase Edmonds, Miles Gaskin, Savon Ahmed, who they tendered, that's the backfield. We can sift through that. Chase Edmonds, a third down back again, but we can work with that. And then, of course, like clockwork, He brings in his old friend Raheem Mostert from the 49ers. Also, Cedric Wilson, who I'm actually disappointed, signed there because I was really looking forward to scooping him up as Dallas' third wide receiver, performed well at the end of the year. Nonetheless, he essentially falls into less opportunity with the Dolphins and signing on as their third receiver behind Devontae Parker and Jalen Waddle and Mike Jasicki, who was used in the slot heavily last year. So overall, knowing all of this, what do you make of what the Dolphins did on offense for fantasy. Yeah, uh, just to plug another article I wrote, uh, Miami's fantasy RB outlook with Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert is up on the site now. If you want more detail, I started writing my uh, article before the Raheem Mostert signing, so I had to redo most of <laughs> comments about uh, Edmonds. I did think that uh, prior to the uh, the Mostert signing, that Edmonds did have some three down back potential. Uh, he, he has not been asked to do much around the goal line but he's his success rate in short yardage is pretty good 
Uh, not nothing special, nothing terrible. Uh, so he's capable. He scored a ton of touchdowns at Fordham uh, as well. Uh, but you know, looking at this with Mostert, uh, it just is looking like it's going to be a, a similar, uh, maybe backfield to the the Forty Niners. Uh, obviously, uh, McDaniel comes over from uh, from the Forty Niners to run the the Dolphins and uh, signs his old friend, as you mentioned. He's got the speed Raheem Mostert does more speed than Chase Edmonds uh, and they have favored that in San Francisco for the last couple of years first it was Mostert now now it's Elijah Mitchell uh, you know passing up Trey Sermon and all the draft capital that they spent on him uh, last year in order to give the ball to Mitchell uh, so I think that if both players are healthy and that's a big if with both players uh, you know everybody's telling me that Mostert's injured all the time but Edmonds is not a picture of durability either um, that you're probably going to have some injuries to both players where the other player is now getting, uh, you know, big touches and having some good fantasy weeks uh, if the other one is out. Uh, if they're both healthy, I think that there's a good chance that Mostert leads the backfield in carries, uh, but Edmonds might lead the backfield in touches, if that makes sense, with his big role in the, in, the, in the passing game as a receiver. He's a very good receiver. And this is something that the 49er offense has... Um, featured the running backs catching the ball uh quite a few catches the last two years and yardage and Edmonds is capable uh receiver uh and he's actually a pretty good runner too his uh yards per carry on first and second down is is decent um not as good as Raheem Mostert's though he leads the league in uh, yards per carry since 2018 so uh on first and second down so uh I think we were probably looking at a, at a committee and that's kind of upsetting I know for fantasy people looking forward to taking Edmonds as a maybe a third or fourth round draft pick which or, which is what I thought he might be if they didn't do anything else at the position but we probably should have known that they were going to bring in Mostert on a one-year deal uh the salary for Edmonds is there I mean I think it's six million a year versus three million a year for uh for Mostert so I think he does you know have the he's going to have the more substantial role to start and we'll see uh, if, if he can kind of fend off Mostert, but I think Mostert is going to might end up with more carries per game basis as long as he's healthy. Speaking of the yards per carry stat you cited, I did see next gen stats mention that Mostert actually has the two fastest carries in the league, both over 20 miles per hour since 2018. Whereas just going back to last year, Dolphins actually had, a league low rate, the fewest carries overall that went for over 15 miles, basically just a bunch of sluggish runners and got no pop, no splash plays, no explosiveness from the running backs. Whereas we believe most are especially, but Edmonds also completely different. Uh, there's also this quote that Raheem Mostert told Josina Anderson that I'll read off here. Being familiar with the whole scheme, the head coach and the plan that he has for me moving forward is why I went there. He told me my role will be similar to what it was in San Francisco, but he still expects me to compete, which actually leans towards what you were saying and Mostert being the 12 to 15 carry back he was in San Francisco when he was healthy. My only issue right now is that in best ball, it's basically a walking Peter Overzet bit and that this guy's better for best ball, right? Uh, I think that's what's going to happen here. Where both, I imagine, will pop, especially for people who are concerned about Mostert's injury history, but I think there will be room for both to be successful and picking those for spots for redraft leagues. When we get to that point in August, that to me is what's going to be the hardest thing about this offense is getting it right. Barring one being injured and the other being used as a workhorse, which by the way, again, Edmonds hasn't done just yet in his career, unless the other person ahead of him, James Connor or David Johnson was injured in that particular game. So it's going to be tough for redraft, but best ball, I think getting a handful of both of them at the right price 
is the correct way to approach this backfield. Yeah, based on what, what my Twitter feedback was when I talked about these players, uh, the the Mostert's probably going to go later than significantly later than I love that than uh, than Edmonds. So you know, probably Mostert, probably eighth round, and then maybe later. I don't know. Um, and then Edmonds, I think probably feels like a f- fifth or sixth rounder now. Um, he maybe he might go a little bit higher, but that's sort of that that range where you get the pretty talented back, but he's in a committee type pick. Um, so, yeah, I think that what you're talking, you know, the Peter Overzet uh, bit, I think works out pretty well here. Uh, it's going to be tough, you know, from a zero RB standpoint as well, you're going to get some starts, you know, out of both of these players. If you have one or the other, or even both, um, but it's just going to be tough on a weekly basis if they're both healthy, because you're just not sure who's going to, who's going to pop in that particular week. Did you want to talk about uh, Cedric Wilson as well? Yeah, uh, quickly, I just wanted to say, this reminds me, though, of the situation last year for the 49ers and that we should have been arbitraging that backfield all along. And in most cases, I did. Uh, I preached it at the last podcast I was at because whenever we know it's going to be a committee backfield, you shouldn't jump in and then take the first player off the board. You're not maximizing your own value. So I would just say, like the 49ers last year and Trey Sermon being the first one and everyone allowing Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert to fall, uh, I would just say, do not take the first one, whoever it is right now. Like you said, it's Chase Edmonds. I would just go ahead and grab the others, in particular Raheem Mostert, and go from there to get the most value. Let's hear your thoughts on Cedric Wilson and basically what he forces this offense to become. And I think you said earlier that you were you were looking forward to taking Wilson as the wide receiver three in in Dallas with yeah I was I was as well so his the signing to Miami uh, is not great for him it's not terrible I mean you could look at Devontae Parker as a player that's been injury a little bit injury prone or his trouble staying healthy at least and if he's out then all of a sudden you're looking at uh, uh, Wilson as the wide receiver two there after Jalen Waddle so the, it's, it's it's kind of a weird offense with Tua there at quarterback it's not Dak Prescott it's not the the Cowboys uh, passing attack so I was looking you know looking forward with Gallup coming back from injury and and uh, Cooper out of the way you know what would Wilson do there as a, maybe the wide receiver two for the first month of the season if Gallup is having trouble getting uh, fully healthy kind of like the Godwin uh, Gage situation in Tampa that we talked about earlier so it's a, it's a downgrade for him um, but they do want him and it does look like he will have a role and there is some potential there for, uh, you know, for, for playing time behind uh, Parker. If, if Parker were to go down right now, just a late round off season selection for me, redraft, it's going to be tough, but again, we have tons of time to talk about that. You actually mentioned Michael Gallup and I want to know your thoughts on the fallout from there because they of course lost Amari Cooper and the trade to Cleveland. They released Blake Jarwin stemming from injury, career-threatening hip surgery. Uh, Not career-threatening, but this year it looks like he's going to be out of the cards, probably a free agent throughout the season. And the resume, the information, the evidence we have on Gallup is that he actually did average nine targets and a 20.9% target share in three games that Cooper logged less than 40% of the team snaps last year. But even in those three games, CeeDee Lamb was banged up and in that lineup. Again, it always goes back to the splits you mentioned, and that last year was chaos. And so it's important for us to always note that. And so we don't have evidence really that Gallup can be a target hog. He's a premier deep threat, but a target hog, uh, not sure. But then again, where else do they go? Because it's literally CeeDee Lamb right now and just Dalton Schultz on a franchise tag. Yeah, and I think... Gallup in a perfect world where he didn't tear his ACL is, you know, maybe pushing top 30 
if not in the top 30 in terms of ADP. Uh, that's the problem, though. We have another late ACL we have to deal with. And how many games is he going to miss at the start of the season? Will he be fully healthy? Is there is the, the knee going to pop up again as the season goes on? It's just hard to take these guys too early if they have that late season ACL. So um, this is a weird this is a weird deal because the Cowboys have gone from having just too many receivers and too much talent at the receiving positions to now being a little bit thin and not knowing if their number two guy is going to be healthy. And then now we're trying to sort out three, four, five, and trying to figure out who could maybe score uh, fantasy points out of that group. But I, I, in general, I'm a, a Gallup fan. I do think that if he was given the number two role there and he's getting seven to nine targets per game uh, from Dak Prescott that he would produce in that in that role. And that I, I'm sort of excited about just him as far as seeing what he does down the stretch. So this is a player that, may get off to a slow start, maybe available in a trade, um, and could really help you, you know, the back half of the season in the fantasy playoffs. What about Dalton Schultz? Because right now he's actually being jammed into the lower tier of the tight end one rankings alongside Dawson Knox, TJ Hawkinson, Mike Jasicki, a handful of others. And I think I would gladly take Dalton Schultz over all of those players right now, even Hawkinson. Yeah, I think he, he's pushing top six to eight. Uh, I don't see any reason why not, given the the way that the the Cowboys uh, receiving core is shaped shaped up here in terms of losing players. I mean, he's he's not going to lose his target share. And uh, did they did they do anything with Blake Jarwin? Is he gone? You've been following the free agency a little bit. He uh, yes, he was released. Um, probably not. Yeah, probably not going to play this year. But released altogether. Him and Cooper. So clearly vacated oh, targets right. there. Vacated opportunity. Yeah. And uh, yes. funny you mentioned that because now I can shamelessly plug like you've been and say, hey, the articles are up there on four for completely free. Uh, I am just, it feels like it doesn't end, tracking the available opportunity, targets and carries missing from last year's production. So this team had this amount of targets to their wide receiver tight end, uh, this much target share missing from last. And of course, there's some subjectivity. There's some context that goes into every key bit of information we get, but the data is at least here for everyone to take and run with. Uh, I just drop it into the pile of analysts like a stake in, uh, in front of lions and say, here's the data. I'm doing the work for you. Now have fun with it. And I love to hear the feedback on that because everyone usually comes back. It seems like it's cut and dry, but everyone comes back with, oh, actually this amount of opportunity missing from this position or whatever actually goes to this player and not this. And I, I love hearing that. So it's available for free for everyone at the site. Uh, in closing though, I want to end with what you believe is the most impactful move for fantasy during this first week of free agency? Well, the most, uh, well, I was gonna, I was going to say the Russell Wilson There's trade, but that's a trade. So I can't even, uh, I can't even say the trade for, for Wilson because it's not a free agent move. So now I've got to reassess. It happened during the first week of free agency. So if you don't have another suggestion, like I will gladly take Russell Wilson, who by the way, again, like, we already mentioned the stats. Everyone's worried about him like falling off a cliff for some reason. It was very clearly just the injury. And I also saw some people think that, oh, they they gave up too much. And uh, you can't, in today's NFL, give up too much for a top five quarterback. Like It's the only key to making a winning organization is getting the quarterback. And then you can build from there. So there is literally no amount they could have given up that would be too much for Russell Wilson. Yeah, and I think he's back fantasy-wise back into the top six or eight discussion after just kind of a slow finish a bad finish last year now, as you mentioned it was due to more to injury and the way the the offense or the team wants to run that the how, how Pete Carroll wants that team to win which is I think by defense and rushing attack and all that kind of stuff so 
uh, quote unquote, establish the run. Um, I think the Wilson trade, I think I'll just go ahead and say that the wherever Deshaun Watson lands and then the ensuing suspension that may or may not happen for him is going to shake up the rankings the most amongst the guys that are out there, I think, uh, with Aaron Rodgers resigning and all that. Um, I am one thing I would like to mention is that that Beasley, Cole Beasley uh, getting cut and Isaiah McKenzie getting re-signed. Uh, McKenzie now is a pretty sneaky wide receiver three type. Uh, he did really well last year when he had a couple of starts at, at Beasley out, as we remember. And I think he's a really talented guy who can also run the ball a little bit. They give him a couple carries when he's playing quite a bit. Uh, they'll give him a couple carries in the game. Um, and I think with Beasley out of the way, that McKenzie is now like a PPR type uh really attractive pick. Uh, I think people are going to be on Gabe Davis and I think that's fine. I think he's a, a talented player, but uh, McKenzie tied to, to Josh Allen is, is, is really exciting. Um, so yeah, I think, look, I'm looking forward to this Watson saga coming to an end and to see which team he picks so that I can kind of adjust my rankings, but th that's going to like shake the, uh, the foundation of the fantasy rankings here in the next week or so. McKenzie, 665 and two, and 11 catches for 125 yards and a touchdown in his last two starts for Cole Beasley. I would have liked the contract to be more than just two years for 4.4 million, but still the opportunity is there because we take away not only Cole Beasley, but Emmanuel Sanders. So they're literally left with the ideal, what we believe anyways, us fantasy nerds, is the most athletic and best version of their 11 personnel in Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, and Isaiah McKenzie. They also ran, you know, there are a lot of like, Tight end scrubs we'll talk about throughout the offseason. Uh, Mo Ali Cox, Evan Ingram, we already discussed, but they also ran the lowest rate, 8% of 12 personnel last year, multi tight end sets. And the OJ Howard signing allows them to increase on that. I don't know how much they're going to increase by, but I bet they do come back with some other sneaky personnel sets. And so the Bills are just going to be super interesting this year. Uh, I'm actually going to go rogue, though, on my own question because I think. The Giants, surprisingly enough, a team I have bagged on, dunked on in the last five years. Um, I think they've made the most impactful transactions that will benefit them both short and long-term this offseason. Not only to start fresh with Dave Gettleman, luckily, stepping down. Who knows what they would have done if Gettleman didn't walk away? But nevertheless, it's about being lucky more so than being right. And they got lucky, and they're here right now. And then, of course, Gettleman took one of the worst head coaches in NFL history with him. But then in pivot completely and hire a regime, different regime, and GM and Joe Schoen and Coach Brian Dable, who have already proven they can piece together a successful franchise to not retain Gettleman's minions in the front office and instead pivot to Brandon Brown, who has nearly a decade of experience as a pro scout in every department, as assist their assistant GM, um, to look into Wink Martindale being the scapegoat and falling on the sword for an injured Ravens defense, still one of the best defensive play callers in the entire league, and then to bring along Mike Kafka from the Chiefs to learn under Dable and immediately shed all the dead weight on their roster that Joe Judge thought he was actually team building with. Like, it's been amazing what they've done. Um, even in making the right moves in free agency, Mark Glowinski, an above average interior player at right guard, John Feliciano, who has worked under Dable, familiar with his play calling at center. And so overall, the moves they've made in a poor division, um, Carson Wentz with Washington, Dallas hasn't yet to add anyone, but Dorrance Armstrong at edge, just bringing back their own. If anything, they've lost more impactful players than not. And so... 
overall, I think the Giants are actually winners. Maybe not this year, but the process long-term is surprisingly, surprisingly correct. And then for fantasy quickly, I want to say, I think Daniel Jones is a clear winner right now because it was Dable who single-handedly changed Buffalo offense headed into the postseason. Remember, Josh Allen averaged and increased 9.1 carries per game across his last seven starts, and only 32% of those carries were actually scrambles. The remaining 68% were design runs that Dable schemed to open up the offense further, including Allen going ham in the first half of that Patriots blowout, just a massacre um, at home. And so if we know one thing about Daniel Jones, one thing he does well, it's run the ball effectively. And so I'm actually very excited about Daniel Jones not even throwing the ball efficiently but just being called to scheme up more runs for him as a hopefully late round best ball selection. Yeah. And uh, if you keep pumping him up, he's not going to be a late round You're selection. Correct. But the, I'm going to screw it up. Yeah. The, uh, the, um, the funny thing about that is that Daniel Jones last year was, I think it was last year, the year before that he was going to be the next Josh Allen. That was what everybody said, but now they actually have the coach there that, that helped Josh Allen become Josh Allen that we know now. And you, you ran it down. There's some good personnel moves and uh, coaching moves that they've made there. And uh, now you got me a little bit excited about Daniel Jones. If he can even graduate to an average passer and then with his rushing ability, then he will become a fantasy factor. With that, John, we are getting out of here for our first episode. But again, many more to come live every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern or on your podcast feeds. Tell your friends the most accurate fantasy podcast. John, tell the people what you got up on the site right now. As I mentioned, the uh, wrote a couple articles, and I want to thank you for taking over the free agency tracker because it actually gave me some time to. to yeah, write people a don't know what happened behind articles. the scenes. I basically let you have a longer retirement. I'll let you take a longer break. I just came in and kind of pushed you out of the way, held you against a corner, even though you're literally like oh. three feet taller than me. And uh, I told you, hey, I'm taking these things, and you said, yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, if you want, if anybody wants to take stuff off of me, I'm happy. I'm happy to do that. It's <laughs> stuff that when they want to, when they want to hand stuff to me, is the problem. Uh, no, just look for the Miami uh, running back article and the Russell Wilson article, and I'm, you know, I may, if if that Watson news hits soon, I may uh, write an article about that as well. Um, and then I'm just keep an eye on those never too early rankings. If you're wondering, uh, you know, John's doing a great job of talking about the fantasy impact of the of all the moves, um, but if you want to see where I have him ranked now at you know his new uh new digs the the players new digs you can just look at the fa- uh, never too early rankings and i'm i'm basically ad- adjusting those on a daily basis and as i see this is not these are not our official projections for the year i have to go through a whole statistical process in order to get those out but these are kind of uh rankings to tide over the degenerates out there that are that are drafting best ball and want to you know are in the middle of the draft and are wondering you know where does isaiah mckenzie fall now that uh, cole beasley has been uh, cut so you can you can see those in our never two other rankings and i'm one of those degenerates there are a lot of people stepping back and watching college basketball enjoying their lives whereas all of us are for four literally grinding our asses off behind the scenes right now not just your rankings but tj jen chris there's so many writers behind the scenes taking fantasy player profiles right now and getting them up on the site immediately post transaction for everyone to read for free right now so just be sure and check that out and i'll also one last plug say keep a lookout because our youtube schedule for next thursday and every thursday moving forward Uh, I'm not going to give away the whole secret, but just know we talked about a lot of best ball drafts. We are actually bringing back weekly underdog streams. And not only will I be on it every week for better or worse, I'm never going to have a Thursday off again in my life. Uh, I'm bringing along some friends. I'm not going to tell you who you're going to have to tune in, 
but we're bringing along some friends. And more importantly, we are bringing along some exclusive underdog tools that literally Sam Hoppin and everyone behind the scenes has created for underdog that no one else has right now. I'm not even kidding. Literally no one has these underdog best ball tools. And I literally can't wait to sit down with friends and show everyone. So next Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern, the best ball happy hour streams return John Daigle and friends. So be on the lookout until then. Thanks for tuning in. Like and subscribe. Tell your friends. We'll see you next time.